It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I have some final thoughts about Bills versus Vikings, an injury update with Dr. Kyle Trimble, and of course my predictions for Sunday are all coming your way today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And as a reminder to you, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNFL. All right, folks. Well, there are a few final things that I want to talk about before we are finished for the week here on the podcast and the Bills play the Vikings. And so we'll start with that. And then, of course, we're going to talk to Dr. Kyle Trimble about all the injuries entering Sunday with a heavy emphasis on the elbow of one Josh Allen, and then, of course, my predictions, five predictions for the way I think Sunday is going to go. But let's start with those leftover thoughts. And the thing that I want to get into first are some cool storylines that exist for this game. We've obviously spent a lot of time thinking and talking about the Bills playing against the Vikings and the cloudy picture that is Josh Allen's availability. But lost in that are a lot of ties between the Bills and the Vikings. Leslie Frazier, of course, spent a good number of years on the Vikings coaching staff. He was their assistant head coach and defensive coordinator from 2007 through 2010. And then he actually took over as their head coach mid-season in 2010 and held the job through 2013. And so he took over in week 12 back in 2010. They went 3-3. Three and three. Then his first full season, they went 3-13. and 13. Then a 10-6 and six year, followed by a 5-10-1 year. So that's obviously a big connection. Case Keenum, who I think is probably going to start for the Bills on Sunday, was the Vikings starting quarterback in 2017. And the team went 13 and 3 that year. Case Keenum as a starting quarterback was 11 and 3 and the team got to the NFC Championship game, which is pretty cool. A pretty memorable season, obviously on the receiving end of, of a lot of Case Keenum passes in 2017 was wide receiver Stefan Diggs, who of course is on the Bills, former Minnesota Viking, fifth round pick. Obviously a steal several years ago when the Vikings drafted him and then an Obviously, the trade, right? The Bills sending a first and a fourth round pick to Minnesota for Stephon Diggs. And then with the pick that the Bill that the Vikings acquired from the Bills, they drafted Justin Jefferson, who has very quickly turned into one of the premier receivers in the NFL. And so let me just take a moment 
to reflect on that trade for just just a moment. Because I think we get too caught up in the whole who won the trade conversation. Both teams did well. Both teams found exactly what they were looking for. The Vikings were able to move on from Stefan Diggs. And with the return that they got, found a new number one receiver to go with their established quarterback in Kirk Cousins. And the Bills found the exact receiver they were looking for in Stefan Diggs, who has been very important to the development of Josh Allen, to the development of the Bills offense. And you can make a weird argument, in my opinion, about how, well, the Bills just could have got Justin Jefferson and got a younger player on a rookie deal. Well, the Bills didn't need a rookie wide receiver. They needed a veteran receiver like Stephon Diggs to come in and elevate the offense, and that's exactly what happened. So I don't, I don't think you can play that game. You can't just say, well, if the Bills drafted Justin Jefferson, then everything would just be the same. It doesn't work like that. Both teams came away with a good return on that trade. It was a win-win, and I don't normally feel that way about trades, but we can look back on it right now, and I feel very certain that it was a win-win. How about the James Cook, Dalvin Cook situation? Obviously, Dalvin Cook, one of the premier running backs in the league. He's on the Vikings. His brother, James Cook, plays for the Bills. And it's certainly starting to feel like James Cook's going to have more and more of a role. We'll see what that looks like this week with Naheem Hines. Now kind of a week into his tenure in Buffalo. Does he get more opportunity? We'll find out. But I'd have to think that James Cook's going to get some chances against Minnesota. And then, of course, Harrison Phillips, Bill's draft pick, key contributor for a number of years, was able to get a nice contract from the Minnesota Vikings this past offseason, and he's been a good player for them. So there's a lot of ties between these two teams right now. And then, you know, I think about Pat Williams and Antoine Winfield and, uh, you know, kind of a long list of, of ties between the two organizations and, of course, both teams being 0-4 in Super Bowls. I think if you were going to find the two teams in the NFL that have experienced the most heartbreak, it's the Bills and Vikings. So kind of a kind of a fun game for some fan bases that have had some success, but never the ultimate success, and a whole lot of heartbreak along the way. The last thing that I want to mention here in Leftover Thoughts is expand on a herd mentality question that I wish I had done the research a little bit more thorough when it was asked of me. And it was about Josh Allen's average depth of target and kind of a perception out there about how of late, it feels like he's not taking the easy profits and maybe kind of pushing the ball down the field a little bit too much. And that's, you know, leading to inconsistent offense and turnovers, right? And so courtesy of Anthony Prohaska of Cover One, you can follow him on Twitter, at Pro underscore Ant. I always enjoy his work over there uh, with Disguise Coverage, his podcast. And then, you know, he's been on uh, on this podcast a few times as I've asked him to be part of our panel for the 10 most important players to the future of the Buffalo Bills that I've done the last couple of years. Very thankful for Anthony's contrib- contributions to that. But he put out a tweet this week that did the research for me that I probably should have just done on Tuesday. And I didn't mean to not do it. I just, I didn't. Um, But this is 
This is Josh Allen's average depth of target by week this year. So how far down the field his average throw is per game. And I think this tells the story. Against the Rams in week one, 7.4 yards. Titans week two, 8.9 yards. Dolphins week three, 5.9 yards. Ravens week four, 7.4 yards. Steelers week five, 14.9. Chiefs in week six, 8.1. Packers week eight, 14. Jets week nine, 12.1. Yes, that number is getting larger. And it's almost like you can look at these numbers and say, man, that Pittsburgh game was fun with those plays down the field, but that could have been the worst thing that happened to this offense because Josh got real comfortable pushing the ball down the field. And you can see it right there. It's 14.9, and then, of course, the Kansas City game, 8.1. Packers, 14. Jets, 12.1. Too many shots down the field. And Josh was having such a good year and is having a good year throwing the ball down the field. But of late, it has come at the expense of taking those profits. And so I think this is the big pivot for Josh Allen. It's kind of getting back on track. And whenever he's on the field again, you know, that remains to be seen. But when he does, I'm looking for him to get back to playing smart football, being a little bit more patient, and not trying to kind of chase some of those throws down the field and just take the profits. Just take them. And the big throws down the field will be there. And when they are there, you need to hit them. But I think there's a, a recalibration necessary for Josh when he gets back into the lineup. And that average depth of target by week does tell the story, in my opinion. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes over at LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. LinkedIn has simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you could quickly prioritize who you'd like to hire. That's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NFL. That's linkedin.com slash NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. I'm joined now by Kyle Trimble. He's a doctor of physical therapy. He runs bangedupbills.com. You can follow him on Twitter at bangedupbills. And Kyle, we got some stuff to talk about this week, a whole lot more than I ever hoped to chat about. So let's get into it. I first off want to 
acknowledge the right tackle situation with Spencer Brown and David Questenbury. Both were limited on Wednesday. They practiced in full on Thursday. And of course, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon before obviously anything happens on Friday, including Sean McDermott's press conference. So we we don't have that information as of the recording of this podcast. But good news there on the right tackle situation. It feels like both should be available for the Bills on Sunday. So with that in mind, I want to get into Jordan Poyer and, and Gregory Rousseau. We know that uh, Rousseau has a high ankle sprain. Sean McDermott has said week to week, so I'm kind of curious on your outlook there. And then, of course, this elbow issue for Jordan Poyer that doesn't feel like it's getting better. And, of course, the the video that came out from John Scott on Thursday afternoon of that elbow. I'm no doctor. You are, but that thing looks pretty ugly. It does. We're going to hit on Greg Rousseau there first. So uh, Rousseau got hit late in the second quarter um, by a low hit from Tyler Conklin. Um, couldn't really tell if Conklin really hit him or rolled into him, but either way, hit the outside of Rousseau's uh, left ankle. He played for a few more plays and then came out, had taped up, and then was on the sideline but didn't return. He played in a total of 14 snaps uh, of that Jets game there. So they say he's week to week. They acknowledge a high ankle sprain. By video, it was a high ankle sprain. His timeline's looking probably about three weeks, like we saw with Ed Oliver and Jake Kumro. Could stretch into four there as well, just because we have that short week with the uh, Thanksgiving game and whatnot. But I don't know that he's going to be IRR candidate just because how we've seen them handle high ankle sprains. If he can't go, well, I mean, if he's not going to be out for a while, we know that. But they could bring up Mike Love is what I'm trying to say here. And he's he's an experienced guy. He knows the defense. And it could be a nice plug and play for a depth option for them. Um, as for Jordan Poirier, though, that left elbow is not looking good. Uh, the first thing I thought of when I saw that video from John Scott at Spectrum News, it looked like Bruce Smith's elbow. We saw those pictures mm-hmm. over the summertime of Bruce working with the defensive ends and whatnot. And he's his elbows were all jagged and pointy and just not pretty looking. So that's what it looks like there. I had... I had inferred last week when we were on the podcast that, that I think there's more to the Jordan Poyer injury, and we're seeing that in real time here. When he's running, he's not moving the elbow at all. It's very swollen. It has that big bulge on the bottom. Looks like there's a potential bursitis there, but I'm, I'm sure there's much more going on. Um, there definitely could be there could be some more going on with regards to, I know that he didn't say, or he said that their injury was different from training camp, but this might have been re-aggravation of the previous injury plus additional stuff in there. We don't know the exact specifics. Um, and I have some idea, but still, I just I don't feel comfortable talking about what I think the exact specifics is until we get more information. But I don't believe he's going to play this week. I question whether he's even going to play next week against the Browns. And um, it, it's not good to think that he's going to be out as long as he is, but there's something more going on than what we're seeing right now. Um, it's just it's not looking good for Poyer. Perhaps if you're looking for positivity there, the team hasn't put him on injured reserve. And so that's a good sign, but it also kind of feels like just buying time and and seeing how things respond and settle in and and try to make that decision. Because once you put him on the shelf, I mean, it's going to be for at least four weeks, if I'm not mistaken. And and, uh, it sounds like they're just trying to buy time here with that. And um, we'll we'll see. But I I, like... (laughs) It doesn't, that does not look like a good situation. Let's move on to uh, another defensive back, Kyer Elam. Ankle injury came, uh, that happened uh, against uh, the Jets, limited on Wednesday. And then you never like to see it go to uh, limited to a do not participate on Thursday. That doesn't feel like we're heading in the right direction for Kyer Elam. 
Correct. Uh, so what happened was uh, this was the play that Garrett Wilson had uh, fumbled and recovered his own fumble. Uh, Elam tried slowing down, and by video, it looked as though he suffered a left ankle injury. I thought he potentially rolled it inward, but there's concern that maybe he had jammed it up in there, whereas maybe he... I don't want to say that he really severely injured the bone, but there could be a small bone bruise or contusion, something where it's just really angry in there because he just jammed everything up trying to slow down so quickly. So um, the fact that he tried practicing in a limited fashion, I did see him jumping out there on Wednesday, which was really good, but that might have just made everything angry. And then I said, hey, let's shut you down Thursday. Maybe see if that doesn't help kind of calm things down on, uh, on Friday if he does go. Um, I'm not liking his prospects. But we do have the benefit of Trey White eventually maybe coming back. And this could be a perfect opportunity to say, hey, let's get the rookie on the the, uh, the bench for a, a week. Get White out there. You still got Dane Jackson, who's coming off his own injury, but he's improving. You got Christian Benford out there. You got guys you can cycle in there. So I think the Bills are going to be fine um, at that position at quarterback, even though Elam might not go or be 100% come Sunday. Yeah, especially if Trey White does get the nod this week. And you still, like you said, you do have Christian Benford and Dane Jackson, who has a neck injury limited on Wednesday, practice in full on Thursday. So it feels like he's on a good trajectory as well as Matt Milano. We should at least acknowledge the oblique that kept him out against the Jets limited Wednesday in full on Thursday. I think we can agree that we feel good on both of those situations before we move on to uh, the two 2018 first round picks. 100%. All right. So let's, let's get to the, uh, the first two draft picks that Brandon Bean ever made. We'll, we'll start with uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who um, has this groin heel type designation, hasn't practiced Wednesday, Thursday. We know that it was kind of bothering him last week. He's been on the re report. Obviously, he played last week. But are we heading towards uh, get Milano back but lose Edmonds type situation on Sunday? That's what it seems like. Uh, we knew he had the heel last week, like you mentioned. That wasn't a problem. The problem with the groin this week is that he played 100% of snaps, so we don't know when it potentially happened. Uh, most of the other injuries, we have an idea what happened or we have the exact play that happened, but with Edmonds, that was a new designation for that there. So uh, he had a hamstring injury earlier in the season. I don't know that that's related to this one. There's certain possibility of that there. But the concern is, do you try to not practice him all this week and then maybe try to get him limited practice on Friday, make him questionable? I feel like that's what they're going to do, but... Um, with what he's meant to the team so far this year, do you try to get him out there knowing you have Matt, Matt Milano coming back? You got Tyrell Dodson, who has performed admirably in short um, bursts when he had to fill in for Edmonds, and you have that depth for a reason. So, like, yeah, it's not going to be great going up against the Vikings, but do you want a 60% Tremaine Edmonds out there or 100% uh, Tyrell Dodson? I'd pick Dodson in this case. All right. Let's do it. Let's have the Josh Allen conversation, Kyle. And let me say this before we get into it. It has been an exhausting week trying to navigate the social media streets, whether that's from the, the Bills-specific side of things or the NFL at large. Everyone's speculating and talking about this elbow injury for Josh Allen. Let me tell you what I've done this week is I've tuned it all out, right? There's nothing I can do about it. I can't control it. I listened to Sean McDermott's press conference. And that's it, because I was waiting to talk to you. And we've had a few text exchanges this week, but we really haven't gotten into the weeds. So this is going to be very much um, my opportunity to hear from the injury expert that I trust, that I choose to have on this show every week to talk about injuries, to find out what the heck is going on. So I, I, I understand this. Don't assume I know anything, because I all I know is that he didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. I heard what McDermott said on, was it 
on Wednesday as well. Mm-hmm. So that that that's where I'm at. Let's start the conversation, and then I'm sure I'll have plenty of follow-ups. All right. So once quick recap of what happened with Allen. Um, third play left in the offensive series where we lost against the Jets there. He tried throwing the ball. Uh, Bryce Huff came around in the pocket, hit his arm back, and I don't say folded it back, but it, hit, it bent back pretty pretty hard and put a lot of stress through that shoulder and elbow. Um, he was seen rubbing it uh, on the TV. He was rubbing his elbow or wrist and then went up the elbow, uh, skipped a pass to Stefan Diggs, and then threw that bomb to uh, Gabe Davis, which unfortunately he did not catch. So the fact that he threw that bomb was impressive on a injured elbow because if you recall in 2018, he got hit, tried throwing a pass, and couldn't do anything, and then he got removed from the game immediately. Um, in the preseason or the press post conference afterward, he had said that just a little pain, he'll be fine. And of course, he sees that he's not practicing uh, Wednesday, Thursday, these day to day, and there's just a lot of speculation. Um, I'll tell you, everybody has a source on Twitter from from what I'm seeing. It's it's a it's crazy. I mean, I I got a guy I know here and this and that, and I'm sure some people that I'm sure there's some truth in there, some of that stuff, but. Um, we do know that they are looking at a UCL injury, which I know that always brings concern with Tommy John. We know he's not going to have surgery because if that was the case, they would have announced it. He would have been done. Massive story, hysteria. That would not have been the case, though. So we can rule that out. So you're looking at grade one, grade two sprain in that area. They're looking at ulnar nerve involvement. The reason why they're looking at ulnar nerve involvement is because the ulnar nerve is what you hit when your funny bone gets hit there. So if you palpate the inside portion of your elbow, you can actually feel part of your ulnar nerve and that that bump, the medial epicondyle, it runs just right behind it there. So that's why they're worried about it because it's in the same area where they believe the uh, injury is at in terms of the UCL ligament. So when they comes back like that, his shoulder was an external rotation. His elbow was an elbow flexion. And then his wrist was in wrist extension that stresses the ulnar nerve. That's uh, an intervention we could do for stretching out the nerve therapeutically. But when you stress it like that, that kind of gets into more of those um, uh, tap out moves you see in pro wrestling there. So I'm not saying that they do that per se for the ulnar nerve, but if you get an idea of when you see guys pulling the arm out off to the side, that's what they're stressing the nerve there in those cases there. So he basically quick stretched the nerve and that's why they were concerned about that. Make sure it wasn't any long-term damage. Cause I'm sure he had that funny bone feeling that pins and needles that you get when your foot falls asleep. Or if you hit that funny bone, taking a deep breath here. So now that we're seeing what's going on here, Ian Rappaport said that there was a tiny tear in his podcast, the insiders and whatnot. That tells me that there's a good chance there might be a grade two. The only reason I say that is because grade one uh, ligament injury, you see microscopic tearing, a sprain is a tear, but you see more minimal swelling, um, microscopic tearing, you're probably not going to see it too much in the MRI. And then on top of that too, um, you're not going to have too much instability there. When I see tiny tear, that means they can see something in the MRI that he has some swelling in the area. He probably has uh, some, maybe some minor instability. Uh, so that makes me want to think that why he's not going to be going through and playing this week here. On my article on Bagna Bills, I published on Tuesday, I had speculated that he would miss three games because he missed four games in 2018. They have some experience treating this injury before, and he knows how he feels. And there's going to be some pain limitation uh, aspects with this. But I feel they could push him more knowing that they've been through this before. So factoring in the fact that they have the Thanksgiving game on a short week, 
I can see him missing the Vikings game, which I think is the, the smart thing to do. I can see him missing the Browns game. And then I question what could change from that Sunday if you're not going to play bench against the Browns game to when you you know play against the Lions, especially how bad the Lions are. Do you risk getting them out there too soon? I would say let them rest, come back against the AFC East division opponents and yeah, New England, Miami, the Jets, and then he's more likely to be fully healthy. My concern is if he gets back out there too fast, is he's not going to be able to do a deep ball. He's going to lose a lot of accuracy, uh, precision. He's not going to be able to get that ball to where he wants to be at. And then on top of that, too, if he starts uh, getting that thing angry, he's going to just start swelling up. It's going to become more difficult to grip the ball. He might lose a little sensation because of swelling in that area, causing pressure on the ulnar nerve, um, causing further problems with just be able to grip the football effectively. My final thought is on that is I don't want to see Harrison Phillips Daniel Hunter, uh, the rookie that's that his name's escaping me, but I don't want to see them trying to come up the pocket, hit his arm, um, just try to beat him up. They, they know the arms beat up already and they're going to target that. So if they're going to apply a whole bunch of pressure, I don't want to see him having to scramble for his life and then get hit in that shoulder and get hit in that elbow and cause other problems. And then suddenly you're looking at maybe missing two or three games. Now you're looking at season ending thing because they rush him back out there. So, uh, I'm okay with them resting. This is why you brought in Case Keenum. He can handle the pressure. He's he's done it. He's played under the spotlight. Um, and if you want to pick a best string of games to be missing Josh Allen, the Vikings, NFC opponent, the Browns, not a good AFC East, or some AFC opponent, and then the Lions, um, not a good NFC opponent. Get ready, get healthy for AFC stretch uh, in December and you know make the playoffs then. So let me ask you this is, is if your proposal of missing three games happens, does that mean after three games, I get Josh Allen in the way that I normally get to watch Josh Allen, or are there going to be limitations uh, until there's a longer period of rest? Or I, I, I certainly don't know enough to say this, but surgery or something like, is there something that has to happen for this to fully heal or, or in three weeks, am I getting Josh Allen as I know him? He might have to get a PRP injection, which will help make the healing more full. It's not going to speed up the healing, but it's basically where they inject pla um, your uh, platelets and the plasma and back into the area um, just to help kind of maximize healing. Um, but it's not going to speed it up per se. They're going to do rehab around the clock and do whatever he can, and they're going to constantly monitor him to see how he's feeling. But when he does come back, I expect him to be pretty close to what it is. He's still going to need a time component. Looking at grade two, you're probably looking at four to six weeks here. But you're going to have, let's say, a 90% Josh Allen is going to be better than any other quarterback in the league, save maybe Patrick Mahomes. So um, I'd rather give him time to rest up and get closer back to 100 rather than trying to uh, get through this injury and never get fully right. So this is now the second elbow injury that Josh Allen's had. I think he missed like 40 something days the first time back in yep. 2018. And then, you know, nothing until now. Is there something about Josh Allen's elbow that makes him more susceptible to this type of injury? Or is it just a situation where you have a big quarterback with a big arm and the amount of torque that he generates throwing a football puts him in a spot where He's vulnerable because of the resistance, right? In a situation just like we saw against Bryce Huff, where you know Josh is dialing up a, a, a throw, and you know he's coming forward, and and Bryce Huff's entire body's blocking it. Is it just stylistically that leads to this, 
or is it there's it, does Josh Allen have a weak elbow? I, I mean, let's just call it what it is. I don't think it's a weak elbow. This is the second injury in four years. Both were as a result of direct contact trauma to the area. Um, I like the I didn't consider the strength component. I mean, he's a lot stronger than most other quarterbacks. So maybe other quarterbacks who get hit like that, maybe aren't bringing their arm as forcefully forward. Maybe you don't get as much of a um, injury or at least severity of the injury in the area. But I, I consider that double-edged sword. I'd rather take the arm strength with the risk that he could have an injury like that rather than have an, a noodle-armed quarterback. And you're lucky you can get you know 30 yards down the field on a good day. So I, I that, that's something I consider, but I'd, I look at this as bad luck. I mean, we see more severe injuries happen in the pocket than running. That's been uh, verified a number of times. Yeah. It just comes down to just maybe have better offensive line protection too. The last one that I have for you on this topic is I want to bring up the, the phrase Tommy John. And the reason I want to bring that up is because I think there's probably a lot of people wondering, including myself, about the possibility of that and what the implications are. And let me give you an un unnecessary piece of information, but uh, part of my losing interest in baseball, and and I was a, a I am I am a New York Mets fan. I, I but there was a point in my time where I would watch like 150 games a year. I had the MLB extra innings. I loved baseball, right? And it, well, I loved the Mets, and and so I I watched a lot of games. But then as they started getting all these good pitchers, and then they inevitably every friggin' one of them had Tommy John surgery. They're gone for two years, and I'm like. Listen, I don't love baseball like that to be sitting here watching these games every night to to see these developmental pitchers step in. Like I, it doesn't move the needle for me. And maybe it does for some people, but it didn't for me. And it really kind of turned me off. If do, do you think there's a a path where Josh Allen needs Tommy John surgery? And if so, what are the consequences of that? If he plays on Sunday and re-injures it, I think there's a increased likelihood. So that's why I think that he might be questionable on Sunday or coming into Sunday but then uh, not play, or they might just roll him out on Friday. But if he plays, that's where the highest risk is there. So even if he does have to get surgery for God, some crazy reason, the repairs are getting better. They use an internal brace, uh, which is basically um, like a fiber um, that's covered in collagen that helps reinforce the ligament instead of doing the traditional reconstruction that we see with the Tommy John that was 40, 50 years ago. So the rehab's getting better. The techniques are getting better, but as long as Josh Allen sits out and rests this thing appropriately, which I believe they will, because they've been more conservative with injuries. We've seen that with Ed Oliver, Trey White. Um, we, we've seen that with a lot of the guys over the years. They, they're not rushing the guys back. Ike Bakker too. So as long as they give them the rest and recovery they needs, I see no reason why he's going to need surgery later on. Well, can can you give me that? If he ever needs Tommy John surgery, is this a two year injury like it is for a baseball pitcher? No, not because uh, the football mechanics are, are different. And then the UCL uh, internal bracing is a lot more efficient. They're, they're looking anywhere from 12 to 18 months for UCL reconstruction. You're looking at, um, I've seen as low as five months, up to 12 months for the UCL with internal bracing. But the football throwing is different. You're throwing slower. You're throwing a different angle. Um, you're not throwing with as much volume. Uh, you're not throwing off the top of the mound, which doesn't play a part into that there. So um, I, I almost don't want to entertain the thought because I don't think yeah. it's going to get there because I don't think the Bills will put him in that position. Well, I, I, I appreciate you kind of talking me down there. Obviously, it's <laughs> I think it's in the back of everyone's mind, right? You talk about UCLs and elbows. I mean, then that the, Tommy John just kind of comes into it. So I, I will yeah. I will trust you on that. And, and hopefully, 
hopefully this discussion has proved helpful for uh, for everyone. It has for me, but it sounds like the best path here is give him some rest and recalibrate here. And, and the reason you've been mindful of the backup quarterback position of late with Mitchell Trubisky and, and Case Keenum is so that if you need to sit him down for three or four games, you can get by and bring him back. And I, I know... I, I know that the Bills can still accomplish their goals if Josh Allen misses time, right? And I think you have to lean into that. And the worst thing for the Bills and Josh Allen is for Josh Allen to go out and play and risk something that truly does derail the season. And so I think they have to be mindful of that and, and calibrate accordingly. But I'll tell you, this has been um, not my favorite conversation I've ever had with you. I, I feared that it would be. I feared we'd talk for a while today. and That's exactly what happened. And so I guess I want to leave uh, on this. How are, how are the chickens? How are the chickens doing? Uh, they're good. Um, I actually talked to you last week about this. I'll, I'll mention one other thing. Uh, my wife and I did have our baby. Um, so we welcomed Pierce Trimble into the world last Thursday. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Smart you. Up so, for you guys. Yeah. So it's been real busy around the household, especially with the Josh Allen injury stuff, the baby, the kids, everything else with that there. So we have that. Uh, we also did get two chickens the day before. Um, so we added two of them. Wow. Uh, but I got, I got a funny story because I wanted to, I knew this would be a, a somber uh, conversation. I got a funny story for you and I haven't told Joe this, so I'm, you're going to get his real reaction. So our, our black chicken, Linda, um, disappeared on Sunday afternoon. I'm like, well, maybe she, they wander off. They, they come back eventually and I didn't see her. I'm like, well, okay, whatever. Monday, I don't see her. Tuesday, I start hearing something outside. And when I'm in my kid's bedroom, I'm like, this is weird, but okay. I don't think anything of it. I don't see her coming around. And then I put the chickens away for the night. I, and the next morning I'm with my son, he's watching TV. I hear clucking and I'm like, well, I know the chickens are not out yet. So what's going on here? And there's an opening up above our garage that the chickens can get into the attic. So I'm like, okay, we'll climb up there. Maybe she got up in there somehow. So I'm up there and I'm looking around. I have my light on. I'm like chickens, chickens. I'm just trying to call them whatever. I hear a faint clucking around the same area where I thought that I heard the chicken at. So I climb through all this insulation. It's dusty. It's dirty. I get over there and this chicken had somehow got up in the attic, had fallen down into where our boiler system used to be at the, the vent that came out. So she's down there for two days stuck mm. because she can't get out. And so I managed to drag her out, get her out. And then um, she's, she's fine now. But uh, I had to climb up in a dirty attic and with insulation, try and get chicken out of a crawl space that i had no business being I'll up there you. linda <laughs> i know tina was giving you problems last time now it's linda it's, That's it's the true. chickens with the a you know at the end of the yeah. game you might yeah. want to think about that before you name your next batch of chickens well that leaves us uh in a little bit more of a positive yes. note i was nervous i was nervous about <laughs> linda there she Look, good to know she's back, hopefully laying eggs and uh, yes. you know, healthy, right? We don't need that. We'll get the injury update on Linda next time. We don't have <laughs> 10,000 Bills players to talk about. All right, Kyle. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. Um, and and let's, let's, let's talk for like a quarter of the time next week. Yes, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. If you thought about securing your home with home security but have been putting it off, you'll want to listen up because right now, Locked On Bills listeners can order the number one rated Simply Safe home security system for 50% off. This is their biggest offer of the year, and you won't want to miss it. Here's what I love about Simply Safe. If you love the idea of cutting edge technology powered by 24 7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back, 
so you know your home is safe, you're going to love Simply Safe. Simply Safe is whole home security with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and out, smarter ways to detect motion that alert you only when a threat is real, and even hazard sensors that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system I recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL. This is the biggest discount of the year. So don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on NFL. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Bills Mafia, we all know what that sound is. It is the glorious sound of a table breaking in half from a body slam. And if you know anything about Bills Mafia, it's something that Bills fans do best. Now listen to this. You know what that sound is? It's a chip breaking mid-dip and guacamole. Not so glorious. The thing is, some things are meant to be broken like tables at tailgates, but chips and dips? Definitely not. That's exactly why the team at Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips set out to create a chip that can actually handle dips without breaking. Talk about game-changing. I love these chips. My wife and I, we have dips all the time, and we know that Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, they're not only delicious and crunchy, but they're sturdy, and uh, you never have to worry about them breaking in half when you're trying to get a big old scoop of guacamole. I also love that they are made from organic flint corn that is grown in upstate New York. You can find Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips at all Wegmans locations in the chip aisle. Zach's Mighty, break tables, not chips. All right, let's do predictions here. I got five predictions for you uh, regarding the result of the game, and I will admit that this is a very difficult game to predict. Um, as of the recording of this podcast, we don't have the confirmation that Josh Allen isn't playing, but I don't think he's going to play. And so I am kind of leaning into the idea that Case Keenum is going to be the quarterback on Sunday for the Bills as I work through this. So uh, this is going to be a little bit challenging, and I, I am admittedly going to kind of take an optimistic position here regarding this game. So number one, I think that all three Bills running backs, Naheem Hines, James Cook, and De Devin Singletary, they have at least three touches on offense. And I know that that's not sounding like a very aggressive prediction, but I think they will need to lean into all three of them, and they're going to want to. You know, when you don't have Josh Allen back there ready to throw the ball 30, 40 times, you're going to have to find other ways to create offense. And I think that they're going to look towards these running backs, and, you know, it could be a good mix of runs and, and catches. But I do think that all three backs will have at least three touches on offense on Sunday. Number two, I'm predicting 100 yards receiving for Stefan Diggs. And I know that that feels maybe like an aggressive position to take, considering we don't think Josh Allen's going to play. But I think between Case Keenum's familiarity with Stefan Diggs and it being a revenge game, if you will, for Steph Diggs against Minnesota, his first game against the Vikings since he's become a member of the Bills, but also just the Vikings' pass defense. It's been suspect this year. They're giving up the most passing yards per game, or pretty high, right? Yards per attempt. They're, they're, they're giving it up, and they're going to be without their number two corner. Cam Dantzler is not going to play. It's going to put a rookie of Caleb Evans into the lineup. 
puts a little more stress on Patrick Peterson. They have an okay slot corner in Chandon Sullivan. I think there's going to be some receiving yards for Stephon Diggs to have in this game, and I think there's going to be a priority to get him the football. Number three, this is one of those games, especially if Josh Allen doesn't play, where whoever wins the turnover battle wins the game. So that's my third prediction. Whoever wins the turnover battle wins the game. I think this is going to be a, a fairly low-scoring game. And with that in mind, possessions where you give the other team the football are really going to matter. This is one of those games where I feel like drives ending and kicks aren't a bad thing. So I'm sure Sam Martin's going to get a little extra work this week. But I think it's going to be important to take care of the football. And so I'll go out and say whoever wins a turnover battle wins the game. Number four, I think the Bills will hold the Vikings under 21 points, and that's a significant number because no team has scored more than 21 points against the Bills so far this year in eight different games. And so in a game where I think the offense will have some challenges with the backup quarterback, it's had challenges with Josh Allen over the last six quarters, right? I think the defense is going to step up. I really do. and. Maybe they'll give up some yards. You know, maybe the Vikings will have 325, 350 yards. That wouldn't surprise me. But will they score more than 21? I don't think so. So put me down for having the Bills hold Minnesota under 21 points of scoring. And then lastly, and you guys know that I'm picking the Bills to win this game. If you listened to the podcast yesterday, I thought that the Bills would are going to win this game. And I again, I am taking... I am taking a very optimistic position here, and I'll explain why. But the first thing that I want to do here before I explain why I'm kind of leaning into the optimistic position, I, I want to bring up a conversation that I had with my brother, Frank, um, because he listened to the podcast on Thursday, and after he did, he sent me a text message, and he said to me, I'll read it to you. He said, you honestly think the Bills win this game without Josh? He said, I think we have the most quarterback-dependent offense in football. Not sure how in a week we go from relying completely on the quarterback to being an offense where you just want to make sure your quarterback doesn't ruin it for you. Fair question, fair point. Maybe some of you thought the same thing after I said that on yesterday's podcast. What I said back to my brother is what I'm going to say to you right now. I think the Bills are the most quarterback-dependent offense in the NFL because they can be and because it's their best way to win because of that. While it is the best way to play and win in the NFL by leaning on an elite quarterback, let's keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of NFL games aren't won that way. Other teams win football games all the time without Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes looking like superheroes on the field. If you can have that script, if you can do that, great. That's the best way to do it. But not everybody gets to have that. So I think it will look different for sure. But I don't see this team laying down. I watched Coach McDermott coach the 2017 Bills to the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor and, and some of the, the bottom-tier passing metrics you'd ever see, right? They benched 
Tyrod Taylor for Nathan Peterman because literally the production was so bad in the passing game. I don't think Josh Allen was a superstar in 2019. I thought he was a pretty good quarterback. But he coached that team to 10-6 and six in the playoffs. Look at what the Jets have done with Zach Wilson. Five, they're 5-1 five and one this year with Zach Wilson. Have you looked at his numbers? They're not great. You think that the Giants are winning all these games because Daniel Jones has been amazing? The Patriots are 5-4. and four. Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi have not played well. So there's ways to win games in the NFL without having this unicorn elite quarterback. Now, again, that is the best way to do it. That's going to give you your best chance to win a Super Bowl, right? But let's have some perspective here that most games, the, the majority, the overwhelming majority of NFL games are won by average quarterbacks. And the Bills are going to have to lean into that this week. Now, why else am I taking an optimistic position here for the Bills? First of all, the Bills have won six straight at home. The longest winning streak at home since 1998. Sean McDermott is 22-11 and coming off a loss since taking over the the job as head coach of the Bills in 2017. That's second best in the NFL. Since 2019, they're 12 and 4 coming off a loss, which is also second best in the NFL. I like that this team has been doubted. I think they're eager to play again. I like that they're playing from a vantage point of, hey, people aren't really giving you a huge level of expectation to come out and play great, right? Everyone's concerned. And I think that this team will rally behind it. And I think that the way that they can rally behind Josh Allen is going out and playing great football without him this week and making sure that when Josh Allen returns to the lineup, they're positioned well to kind of just keep it going. And I believe in the leadership of the Bills to not let the last six quarters derail what they want to achieve this season. I think this is a come-together opportunity for the team. Again, I admit that I'm being optimistic. I understand that this could be a big major whiff and the Bills could flop and I'd look very silly. But I'm going to choose to see the positivity and cling to all of that. I'm sure that that's the message that Coach McDermott is preaching this week. And I think the Bills will rally and get it done on Sunday. And hopefully Josh Allen comes back soon and when he does, he's ready to go. But things are going to be a little bit different until then. And this will be the first look at that potentially on Sunday. And, and again, look, Coach, I'm recording this on Thursday. If Coach McDermott comes out on Friday and has a completely different outlook on the injury stuff, well, then, you know, we'll have to recalibrate. But based on my expectations right now, that's what I'm, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So uh, we'll, we'll find out. We'll see, right? We'll see. The Bills, Bills can, can weather the storm here for a few weeks until Josh gets back and, you know, pick up the, the pieces and go. Um, it's all still there. It's all still there. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast and this week on the podcast. Go Bills. As always, I kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review. Have a great weekend, and I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.